welcome to Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, a podcast series by the Climate Justice Alliance that takes us behind the scenes in local communities building sustainable and equitable climate justice solutions in their own backyards. Climate Justice Alliance is a growing member alliance of 70 urban and rural frontline communities, organizations, and supporting networks in the climate justice movement. In Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, we'll hear from the organizations, creators, and communities spotlighted in Story Snapshots, a new CJA project that draws from local arts, creativity, and culture to express the vision, heart, and day-to-day work of communities building just transitions across the Alliance. I'm Keenan Rhodes with CJA and the Kepper Institute in Indianapolis, and I'll be your host. This episode, I speak with filmmaker John Acosta, editor Rob Nakai, and Southwest Organizing Project organizer Rodrigo Rodriguez about SWAP's story snapshot, Project Feed the Hood, and growing food as a revolutionary act. Our conversation covers the history of community organizing in Albuquerque, intergenerational development, and the power of storytelling to create change. We start with John Acosta to tell us the story of how he ended up making films in his community. My name is John Acosta. I do a lot of documentary film, do a lot of organizing here in Albuquerque as well. Uh, I'm Rodrigo Rodriguez. I'm a community organizer with the Southwest Organizing Project and one of the founders of Project Feed the Hood. Dope. So tell me a little more about your backgrounds as you, John Acosta, Acosta excuse me. Um, <laughs> tell me more about your, about your background as a filmmaker and how you got involved with SWAP. For sure. Um, I've always been a fan of picking up a camera and, you know, messing with cameras. Uh, I would say ever since I was like 18 in the golden age of YouTube, if you will, I was doing a lot of like, uh, like pranks and stuff, you know, because that's when that's when everything started like popping off with like pranks and YouTube. And that's really like what made me pick up a camera. Uh, interestingly enough, and then um, you know, as I, as I got as I got older, I was studying uh, uh, computer programming at CNM, and I really enjoyed that. You know, just like the technical aspect of you know just dealing with computers and figuring out like logistics and things like that. Um, but what I didn't enjoy as much was just like sitting sitting down all the time. You know, it made me really anxious. That's when I decided to go back into school and. And be a little bit more more active. I got into journalism, communication, and journalism. Um, and at that time, that's when I started working with an organization called Encuentro uh, here in Albuquerque, which focuses a lot on uh, adult education, uh, specifically towards Spanish, the Spanish-speaking community here, right? So they do a lot of workshops around you know, just readiness, right? So uh, whether that be like citizenship classes uh, or workshops, also like computer readiness workshops, so different levels, as well as ESL classes. They had a really cool program at the time called uh, Tu Voz Digital, which was a community journalism initiative. And I was uh, actually just going to be assisting the the communications person that was working at the time, his name was Candelario, 
you know, that was my initial role because I was still studying and, you know, you know, doing that. Um, as things go in these grassroots organizations, uh, he ended up getting another job out in uh, Austin, Texas. And pretty much he was like, good luck, you know, like you're, you're coordinating this, uh, this group of community journalists, right? Um, and it was cool, you know, I was like, I was ready for it. I was very young and very just ready, ready to take on anything, you know, I was kind of naive at the time too. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, but through that, through that experience, you know, we, uh, you know, we did some, some really awesome stories. We created, you know, uh, blogs online and we were just doing some, some hard hitting journalism, um, with, with community members. And that, you know, that really opened up my eyes to what was going on, not only on the national level, but at the hyper local level here in Albuquerque. And it really made me just become more and more motivated to create stories, right? And so that's how, I guess like that was the motivation to, to pick up that camera again and, and take it uh, more serious. And yeah, so that's a little bit about my, my background and, and why I do a lot of this work. Uh, with SWAP, I became involved with SWAP because I work for an organization called Working Classroom. We are sister, we, we're a sister organization of SWAP. And, you know, I always follow, follow the work that these guys do, uh, the work that Rodrigo does. They do amazing work. And, and just the history of SWAP, you know, is just something that I, that I really believe in and, you know, part of my values and, and my morals. And uh, I want to I wanna continue working with them and, and you know, continue that, that cause for, for justice, right? That's wonderful. And then it's so... Well, to have storytelling that's based in uh, community and that's based in the, also like in community empowerment is, 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 is powerful. And I feel like it makes for not just more dynamic storytelling, but, you know, it also like I think about when the young people that are in my neighborhood, like see me out and about with a camera, they also like can feel a sense of empowerment. Like, oh, OK, well, this is someone that's like from this neighborhood that's doing this, you know, and I can also do it, too, which is really dope. Right, right. I think Rob just came through. All right. So now we so now we're being joined by Rob, who's the editor, Craig. Yeah, yeah he's here. So awesome. All right. So Rob, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh hey, my name is Rob. Uh I do different types of media stuff, audio, video. Been doing it for years. And uh Two credits short of a <laughs> Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from UNM in uh, Film Studies. Awesome. Thank you. So why don't we go ahead and jump to Rodrigo for a second and tell me more about also how you got involved with SWAP. Tell us more about what SWAP is and what is that you all are trying to do. Sure. Um, yeah, so I am a community organizer with the Southwest Organizing Project. Um, SWAP is a 40-year-old grassroots organization founded in 1980 uh, by young people, young Chicanos here in New Mexico, you know, and it's got a long history of doing environmental justice work. You know, we've had a long struggle here in New Mexico around extractive industries, polluters, the military industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, um, you know, the effects of colonization have hit New Mexico. 
very hard and are ongoing. And, um, you know, so SWAP was founded and was really birthed out of the Chicano movement of the 60s and 70s, um, the Black Berets organization, uh, which turned into the Chicano Communication Center, which turned into the Southwest Organizing Project, you know, and have a long history of struggle going back even further than that, you know. Our, our communities have been at the front lines since colonization, since they got here. In New Mexico, we're still currently like battling racist ideas about conquistadors. And, you know, there was a couple of months ago, somebody got shot at a protest against one of the conquistador statues and John was out there on the front lines. John got hit by some rubber bullets uh, by the police at that protest. You know, so New Mexico has a like a long and complicated and interesting and beautiful history. Um, and SWAP is very much a product of that, you know. And so we, in 2009, we started Project Feed the Hood, you know, and I was a, I had been involved in SWAP for a few years. Um, at that point, I started as a youth group member, you know, and I was a, a young person who was going through the system, um, you know, and was on a, a destructive path and found this organization and this like chosen family and political home and have been kind of working at or around SWAP, you know, for gosh, for about 15 years or so, but for the last 10 years as the organizer of Project Feed the Hood. Um, so for the last 10 years, we've been building school and community gardens, um, teaching people how to grow food at their homes, maintaining a seed library, working to uplift farm workers, working to uplift the local food system, trying to build food sovereignty for New Mexico, for Albuquerque, um, and for our communities. So I've been fortunate to be involved with CJA. Um, I've been fortunate to be involved in, you know, a lot of the work that SWAP does and has done over the years. And we have a, a large youth component. We invest in our young folks a lot. So I'm very much a product of that. Um, and, you know, our focus is, is on continuing to do that and continuing to develop our young folks. Wonderful. And why don't we jump to Rob real quick. So tell me also about how you got tied into all this in this project. So um, interestingly enough, I've actually worked with another social justice media and youth group, which was called Generation Justice. Um, they have ties through KUNM and stuff like that. But how I got involved with SWAP is that I actually know Rodrigo from doing music in town and uh, probably doing quite a few shows for different youth organizations, um, you know, just for free, just for to have, give something for the kids to have to do. So there's always that kind of like close tie to like community and things like that when you're doing local music. And luckily they uh, have just offered me the chance to work with them and I'm lucky enough to get to do that and uh, getting to take some of those ideas that I learned while working for Generation Justice and being able to uh, have a good idea of what kind of things they're trying to convey and communicate as far as their work goes. For Rodrigo, you've been involved with SWAP for a long time and you said 15 years, correct? Yeah, something like that. Going back to like 2005, 2006. So you've seen so much change in this organization. You've seen the development of, you know what I'm saying, of yourself and then also other people that have been involved. So can you tell me what is that like kind of desired future state that you wish to see that you start to speak on a little earlier? And uh, how does this story snapshot project tie to that? 
Yeah, I've been fortunate and blessed to be involved with this organization. You know, I probably wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? I probably would be in jail or gone if it wasn't for my community, if it wasn't for uh, South Coast Organizing Project and Project Feed the Hood. You know, I, my number one desire is to pay that forward and empower young folks to really like change their communities. You know, we really have this opportunity and I think we highlight it very well in the video of some of our young folks. Um, so we have a, a summer program where we in, like very intentionally, you know, hire young people to help us work at the gardens. And, you know, it's not just about like growing food. And I think one of the young men says it in the, in the, the, the video, you know, it's not just about growing food, it's about growing consciousness. Um, and becoming, you know, and being stewards of of Mother Earth, um, being stewards of our communities, you know, and really passing that on, um, you know, and we have our young folks in the position where they're also mentoring other young folks, uh, you know, and that's very much tied to our organizing and how we get down at Southwest Organizing Projects in terms of like investing in young people, but also investing in this intergenerational organizing. Um, and I've been just very blessed to have some amazing mentors who are also highlighted in the in the video, um, some of the folks who taught us about community organizing, taught us about growing food as a revolutionary act. So that's my biggest dream and desire, you know. And our young folks participate. The program that they participate in throughout the summer is called the Donaldo Yanes um, Youth Internship, and we named it after Donaldo Yanes because he was our very first young person. Um, he was our first summer intern when he was like young, like he was maybe 10 or 11 years old. He was a young kid from the neighborhood who just liked to hang out. Um, and we had a little opportunity to give him a stipend and help his mom and his family. Um, and Donaldo's life was tragically ended um, maybe three years ago now. He was uh, a victim of, uh, of some gun violence up in the International District. Um, and his murder is still unsolved. And it's one of those, you know, he was a young immigrant man of color and their, you know, his murder will probably never be solved. And so we wanted to uplift Donaldo and honor his life and his legacy. Um, and so we, we named the, the internship after him. And so it's all these mostly young men, um, but all from the international district, you know, which is one of the uh, more low income kind of rougher communities here in New Mexico. Um, it's the community I grew up in and growing up, we used to call it the war zone. Um, it's kind of gone through some rebranding and some other things, but it's still dealing with a lot of the social conditions of the war zone, even though they changed the name to the international district. So, you know, we, we have it. We want to have an impact in a, in a very intentional way by working with the young people in that community who are on the front lines. You know, they're not just dealing with food deserts and, and lack of access to food, but they're dealing with all this other stuff, including the gun violence and uh, police violence that happens in that community. Uh, so, you know, part of it is also about growing community organizers and not just invest, like investing in young people in a very intentional way so that it's not just another internship, um, but it's, a, it's a, a path for them to choose in their life, you know? Paying, you were talking about paying for it. And I love that quote that you said about, not just about growing food, it's about growing consciousness. And the idea of just wanting to make sure that you're paying it forward and the, the social things that you do or the programs that you do are related to not just the physical outcomes, but actually growing people um, is what I heard. Would you say that's, that's accurate? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's very much about leadership development, you know. And that's, like I said, I'm a product of that. A lot of our folks at SWAP are a product of that. Just a very intentional leadership development with our young folks. So tell me how this project, the Story Snapshot Project, 
um, relates to that. And if we'll get into more detail later, but for those who haven't seen it, including myself, can you explain uh, the story snapshot? Yeah. Um, I'll maybe pass it to John, but uh, my two cents on it. The snapshot is really an opportunity. This past year has been our 10th anniversary. And so we, you know, have come into our own, you know, we're grown ups now as much as I don't want to admit it. You know, I have a daughter and, you know, a car payment and, you know, I'm a grown up now. So we're able to kind of highlight some of the work that we've been able to do, but really focus in on our young folks and the work that they're doing currently, you know, and this, we like to say a swap that like young people aren't the leaders of the future, they're the leaders of now, um, you know, and the project is very much led by our young folks and they have these big dreams and visions and goals and they're just like inspirational, you know, and I feel like as grownups, we start losing that ability to dream those like radical dreams, you know, but young people still have that. So I hope that the snapshot can kind of highlight some of their stories and also talk about the work that like that we've done and would highlight some of the, the work of our elders back in the 60s and 70s, the Black Berets inspired by the Black Panthers um, were doing breakfast programs here in New Mexico. And that's one of the stories that's highlighted in the video. Um, and these were young uh, teenagers, you know, young men and young women from the barrios who were seeing that, like, you know, kids were going to school hungry and they were having a hard time. So they started the very first free breakfast program here in Albuquerque and essentially shamed the Albuquerque public schools into starting to provide free breakfast for the kids. Um, and one of the stories that they tell in the documentary is about picking up the kids in their 57 Chevy to go make blueberry pancakes. Um, you know, and it's very much like this grassroots movement that we're still today, you know, I'm still picking kids up in my minivan, you know, and taking them to the office to go make food uh, before the meetings and stuff. So I feel like that's just a really powerful line that we've drawn with the documentary is, you know, showing how just kind of this basic, like taking care of each other, grassroots uh, movement is still very viable and still very powerful. I love that. Right. And this, and, you know, such a key component of it is like that it's intergenerational. Right. You know what I mean? Right. See, and that's what that, that intergenerational piece is what builds that sustainability and uh, preparing people for the long haul of, of continuing to do this work. So that's really beautiful to hear. And John, why don't you tell me more about like the details of this project from, from your perspective as the filmmaker and working in community uh, to make this story snapshot happen? Yeah, for sure. So I think I think it's really powerful to to be our, our own creators of our own stories. You know, many times when we want to create something, we're always like, okay, who do we, who do we reach out to? Like, let's call like this film crew from California or whatever, or, you know, like, let's, let's look up like the, the most dominant media company here in Albuquerque, you know? And I, I myself, like, I see myself as, you know, a grassroots filmmaker. Um, so I'm really like grateful to be working alongside you know, my heroes, first of all, because I, I, I know I do, I do look up to, you know, the elders that have been putting in this work uh, before we have, right? And, and just like the long history and, and like you guys mentioned, like those parallels that exist now and it feels like we're kind of in a loop, right? Where we're like uh, reliving these moments, right? Um, when we were talking about this project, we, Rodrigo and I were, were, were talking about how how to be more intentional and not just talk about, because when we, 
when we talk about the community gardens, right, I think we get caught up in like the beauty of it and how beautiful it is. And it, and it, it is beautiful, right? Like, you know, the, the greenery and, you know, the, the blooming uh, flowers and, and the plants and all that. But uh, we really wanted to capture the history and the reason why these community gardens exist, right? And, and that is a revolutionary one, right? That is one, uh, the message is to, um, to be sustainable and to be our own growers and our, and our own suppliers, right? And so that was a big thing, right? It's like getting that, that message across and not just, you know, the, the, the beauty of it. And to show just how transfer, transformational it can be right and in all phases right whether that's like youth involvement or you know just learning about you know how to how to provide for yourself how to how to you know uh not just grow food but also you know be you know cook the food you know how to do all that which is what they provide through these through these programs as well so i don't know it's just it's it's really really beautiful to me and um i'm just glad to be a part of it and you know provide a little bit of my my vision, you know, but also realize that this is a collaborative vision, you know, working towards that 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 vision. Wonderful. And if you could, would you mind like just walking me like through the process of making it from like start to finish? Like, what were those initial conversations like? Part of the process of taking what was ostensibly like six hours of interview footage and about four hours of just B roll of um, visual stuff. Some, somewhere along the way, I learned that the workflow was you listen to the interviews, you take notes on them. It's almost like a minute-by-minute minute note because people tend to speak about things in minute intervals or at least subject-wise. So you have to look at it like an essay. Somebody gives you all the words and the sentences, and you have to put them out on paper and then rearrange them in order to create the essay and the, and the, with the purpose that you're trying to uh, convey, whatever ideas you're trying to communicate. As far as visuals go, you can kind of work it the same way, which is taking a look at things and finding the most visually compelling as well as the most uh, compelling as far as like subject matter and storytelling. But it really comes down to, do you have the sentences that people have expressed in order to convey the things that you need to put out there for your audience? Um, so just, takes a lot of listening, a lot of understanding what your interviewer, interviewee's point is, and then trying to give them the best way to express that just within that small period of time that hopefully expresses the overall theme that you're trying to put forth. And so storytelling, especially on film, has gotten like real tricky in the times of COVID. So can you tell me about like how this current pandemic Actually, and I'll let either any one of you speak to it, but how the pandemic affected the way you're able to tell the story or how you had to change your workflow to be able to capture this narrative. It was hard to schedule, I think was the big, the big uh, like barrier. We were, when we didn't get to do as much as we wanted, but we were able to go to Socorro down south. Um, and that was the drone footage that you saw. We were able to get some drone footage and visit one of the small farmers that we work with. But we wanted to go see some other folks and visit some of the elders and stuff and just kind of weren't able to do some of that. Yeah, it seemed like like nothing was happening or, you know, myself, for, for me, like I was, like I didn't know 
if I was out of line to just like trying to schedule these things out or, or ask for Leo, like, hey, can you can you ask so and so? You know, I mean, it felt really <laughs> weird. It felt really weird, but you know, we're we are in a state where um, you know the the numbers aren't as high as as other states, right? New Mexico is is um, has been you know pretty low, uh, so you know it seemed like everything kind of happened in the last month, month and a half, um, two months. Uh, so like nothing was happening, and then everything was happening, yeah. you know. And then it also, it, 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 although we we I was intending to shoot outside, you know, it, that did help with uh, everything going on with COVID, you know, huh? uh, in regards to not shooting inside in, the, in a confined space, right? And I think that's where we're lucky in New Mexico is that we have the ability to have so many days of sunshine and good weather that we're not relying on good weather in order to get things done. There's a little bit of room there. But yeah, like I think at the end of the day, it's access, access to certain people. And um, just the fact that you can't have large gatherings anymore, just even from a visual, it, it's hard to show community work when you can't show the community or the people in it. And that, that can always be a difficulty. Yeah, that was, that was a tough thing. However, SWAP did organize some, some uh, COVID safe Events, or I wouldn't even call them events. What are they? Workshops or whatever. Yeah, the garden. Yeah, the garden, and we were able to document that, and that was that was really cool, and that, that also gave me time to like regroup and just think about how to how to tackle everything. Yeah, we've been um, grappling with you know like everybody with the school openings. So a lot of our work happens at the schools, after school programs, school gardens. And the garden is one of the spaces that you can safely social distance, you know. And so some of our guys have been making, like, how-to videos, how to conduct COVID-safe workshops. And so one of the days we were filming, they were there filming, uh, making little PSAs for the school gardens. So just little things like, you know, how to disinfect the shovels, how to make sure, uh, you know, everything is, is disinfected when, before people get there and after they leave how to keep people six feet apart, um, having masks on hand, just little little tips for the for the garden educators. Um, but that's one of the things that the youth have been really taking the lead on is, is helping to educate other young folks and also teachers, school administrators on how the garden can be a COVID safe space at the school campuses. So um wanted to ask you, John, about... Um, the medium of film and why that speaks to you. And then also uh, for Rodrigo, why of all the other options, like for these story snapshots, we had a cookbook, photos, but why it was important to capture this on film. Yeah. So um, I don't, I'm not sure if it's, if it speaks to me, I think more than anything, I just see the power in it and like utilizing it as a tool to organize. Uh, it's such a powerful tool. Um, and, you know, there's, there's many reasons behind that. I feel, you know, if we break it down, it's, it's not only like visuals that you see, it's also, you know, it's a lot of elements, right? There's, there's audio, right? That you, that you, that, that pulls you in, right? And then there's also a lot of metaphor in film, right? And, and, and even in documentary work. So it's, it's like, it's poetry in motion, right? People say poetry in motion. And that's exactly what it is. And I don't know, man, it's kind of wild because some of my documentary work has gotten some 
you know, like people still talk about it and it still like trips me out, like how powerful that, that can be, you know, I guess, I guess I've, I've kind of like become a little bit desensitized to it just because I spend, I spend long hours in the editing room and, you know, just like geeking out over stuff, stuff like this. So I'm just like, to me, it's kind of like a normal thing, but it's, it's so powerful, man. Like people have reached out to me, you know, city, city officials have reached out to me, you know, and, and it's just like, I don't know, it, it, it trips me out still. And that, and that's, that's another big reason why I, I'm an educator as well. And I teach this stuff to the youth because I know how powerful it can be. And I want them to experience that. I want them to be their own creators, you know, and and uh, just have that power, man. Like, because that's how we build power, and and that's how we uh, we can consolidate that power and and really create a movement. So yeah, that's the re- those are those are the reasons. Yeah, um, I would just say to all that stuff. We at Swap do a lot of like arts and culture organizing alongside our political organizing. And one of the things, you know, that we kind of pride ourselves on is the way that we tell our stories, our community stories. And John and I had worked on another piece around youth violence that got a lot of play and has kind of led into some other organizing efforts around young, around youth violence. And for us, you know, it's also about like uplifting our people and uplifting our voices, you know, with respect to some of the folks who didn't make it into the documentary, um, you know, we have a really powerful crew. And I just really wanted to highlight those folks and really allow them to tell their own stories. One of the things, like John said, we see a lot of in New Mexico is like kind of outside folks telling our stories. Um, You know, a lot of, and so New Mexico has this huge film industry. You know, Netflix just bought up a big movie studio out here. We have these huge tax incentive breaks. So we're like inundated with filmmakers out here in New Mexico, um, but almost none of them are local. You know, then especially young people of color um, are completely sort of being left behind by that industry. Um, So also wanting to uh, uplift my homies here and, um, you know, get them a little bit of work, but also like show the world what our folks are capable of. You know, John and, and Rob have just done an outstanding job so to like to quote the kids, I wanted to give folks their flowers, man. I wanted to uplift my my organizing crew and also my filmmaking crew. Um, so that was that was really my desire for for and shout to CJA for helping us provide resources to do it. Um, but we were kind of in the in the mood of like, well, we should do something for the tenth anniversary. You know, it's been a journey, it's been a movement, and we want to uplift folks and keep that energy going to keep going for another ten years. So, you know, we really kind of landed on making a, a documentary of some kind about Project Vida. Can I just, uh, I'd just like to add for a moment that here in New Mexico, especially in Native culture, storytelling is incredibly important. Storytelling is history. Storytelling is how we know who we are. And uh, that ties really closely to visuals and filmmaking. When you look at, when you watch a film or see photography, The main focus is always on the eyes. That's the first thing you go for, whether it's a human or an animal, you look for the eyes. That's a natural instinct to do. And since 1897, this has been a growing artistic discipline, the idea of motion picture. So even at this point, well over 100 years later, 
there are still huge uh, disparities about whose stories are being told and who's allowed to tell stories. And I think that plays a big factor as far as like self-determination goes, being able to participate in that, whoever you are, wherever you come from, but especially within this context. I think I may probably only have like a couple more questions. Y'all answered so many um, <laughs> in, in, um, in just that response. One, how did this project in you all's lens through your eyes embody the ideas of just transition that um, CJA uplifts a lot and um, that many member orgs practice uh, across the country? Yeah, um, so SWAP has a long history and specifically Project Feed the Hood was born out of our environmental justice work. You know, the struggle for land and water um, in New Mexico is very tangible because we're a place that doesn't have a lot of water. You know, and so in extractive industries and the, the food system in New Mexico is very much an extractive economy. You know, it's something like seven billion dollars a year, uh, mostly in dairy profits, but in, in industrial agricultural profits, about seven billion. And that's self-reported data, so it could be bigger, but seven billion dollars in, in agricultural profits, but the most hungry, hungry kids in the country. So that tells us that there's some fun, something fundamentally wrong with the way that the food system works in New Mexico. Part of our vision, our dream of food sovereignty for New Mexico is really to reconnect with traditional land-based food economies, you know, and regional food sheds, um, really uplifting small farmers, family farmers, micro farmers. Um, you know, New Mexico has a, an ancient farming tradition in the native communities going back thousands of years, you know, and we also have what we call acequias, which are kind of like irrigation ditches that crisscross the state and uh, help deliver water to different communities. And that's one of the ways that we, uh, that communities have formed themselves for hundreds of years now, right, is around these acequias um, and this water distribution method. And the way that farmers have access, native farmers, traditional Chicano, Hispano farmers uh, all along the Rio Grande Valley have kind of self-organized around these things. So a lot of the work that we've tried to do is reconnect young people, communities, urban folks, you know, urban folks in the urban centers um, to these traditional land-based economies. Um, and New Mexico, we're not that far removed. You know, we didn't get supermarkets in New Mexico until like the 1950s, you know, so we're not that far removed from our traditional food ways um, and really reconnecting with folks and, and um, tapping into that resilience that's been here for for generations, you know, for centuries. So part of it is, you know, about reconnecting with folks and part of it is also holding bad, bad actors accountable, right? So the dairy industry here is um, huge, then they're devastating in their ecological environmental effects. You know, they, they contaminate the groundwater everywhere they go. Um, the same thing with the cattle industry, but these are extremely powerful entities. You know, they carry a lot of political power up in Santa Fe at our state capital. So part of it is, you know, building up the things that we do like and we do want and holding the, the bad actors accountable. You know, $7 billion in agricultural profits with the most hungry kids just doesn't add up. So final question, more about the learning process from this project. What did you learn about the community in which the story was told? And what did you learn about yourself through the process? So I, I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, about local history that I personally was not aware of, not having 
super close ties to either the Hispanic culture, like through my family or either through the community. I did not know the story history. And, and I guess in a lot of ways that makes me really angry. <laughs> and, and I find anger to be a gift. I don't find it to be a detriment or to be a negative feeling. I usually can take those sort of feelings and push that, put the energy towards something positive. But there's still a lot of anger about a lot of the discrimination, a lot of the entrenched racist actions and policy that are systemic, not just throughout the United States, but definitely here in New Mexico as well. And, um, but also a really rich celebration of how different, and I've always known this to some degree, but how different New Mexico is as a state. It doesn't feel like a lot of the United States wherever you go. There is a, a sense of roots and identity here that surpass the whole of the American experiment, experiment and, and the American experience because we actually do have the oldest state capital. It supersedes the capital of the United States by almost 200 years. Mm -hmm. So there is a deep history and a deep sense of things here already when you live here. And I think that's what brings a lot of people here. It's not just the natural land that's enchanted. It is the whole of the zeitgeist of, of the people that give it something unique and, and um, something new to the rest of the, to the country and the people who experience it. So I think personally, I became a lot more aware, I became a lot more interested, I think, in trying to get some of these stories pushed forward because honestly, I find it to be a travesty that there is a deep, rich history of resistance, of organizing, and of trying to create a better place for everybody that isn't being told. Uh, if each of you could, could answer the same question. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, I'm just, you know, in, in amazingly impressed and uh, proud of the work that everybody has accomplished, the organizers, uh, the community, the young people, um, you know, and it's we're, we're we're in a place that is under resourced, overworked, and over policed, and folks are still able to accomplish like all these amazing things, and still like hold each other dear and hold our communities dear. So I'm like I'm really more than anything just really proud of folks. Um, and something that I learned is. Uh, just that continued faith in like people to be able to accomplish things um, and really be able to to build that world that we all want to live in, that we all want to raise our children in, um, and to build these beloved communities where we can do that. So, um, I mean, I learned a lot. I think, um, yeah, just learning learning the history from the from the the founders of of uh, uh, SWAP, from Joaquin Luján and Richard Moore. You know, listening in to the stories of the free breakfast program that was uh, adopted from the Black Panther Party, their 12-point their program, um, was really awesome. But also heading out to, to Porvadera, um, out in near the Socorro area, was, was really awesome. Joaquin, um, you know, Rodrigo took us out, and, and Joaquin was, was uh, showing us around. And he kind of just, like, you know, was, was showing us the land, and all the politics behind the land too, and just how 
like how crazy that all that situation can can really get you know in terms of who's doing solid work and you know who's just posing as as progressives but you know are really just extracting uh from the community um you know he showed us some farms out there that you know are considered small farms but you know are are are, are uh, pretty much uh, uh putting chemicals in our in our crops you know and, and feeding that to us and i don't know it's just very very eye-opening and to me it's it's the truth you know it's it's uh it's what we need we we need to um uh, you know, keep creating these, these kinds of stories and, and listen in. And, um, you know, it was also also uh, it was also, um, awesome seeing some of the old archives. Rodrigo was showing us, uh, some, uh, you know, some of the old newspapers that, that the black, that the Mexico black berets created and just seeing, you know, all those stories too. Um, just yesterday I saw some footage of uh, 1971 riots here in Albuquerque, and it was like cop cars being burnt down, and it just it just really hit home, you know. It's just like the same footage that we're seeing now, you know. Um, so just real, real powerful stuff, you know. The the generations before us have already they've lived through this, so it's just so important to to um, you know to to have those stories, but also you know, like Rodrigo has said, it's like we need to document this stuff before they they pass away, you know. And not only that, but you know, just try to try to get as much knowledge and uh, from them because they've already lived all this. So yeah, that was that was really awesome, and and that was my learning experience. All three of you, thank you so so much. And I mean, this you know, this one on one end, you know, this has been a great interview, uh, just talking about the project, but also on a personal level, been like very restorative uh, for me, because it also reminds me of like the one, just the importance of, of the of the craft of storytelling and of being able to like have community control over its own narrative. So I really appreciate the work you all do. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this snapshot. Appreciate um, so it. I'm Dad, thank, thank you. And uh, if you ever come to New Mexico, hit us up, man. You got a home out here as well. If you like what you hear, please share this episode. Donate at climatejusticealliance.org and sign up for our newsletter for updates. Also, let us know what you think of the podcast. You can find all our contact information, including social media, at climatejusticealliance.org. Story Snapshots is a project by the Climate Justice Alliance. From local to international, from prairies to mountains to island shores, from youth to elders, we work together toward a shared vision for the future. Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition is produced by Jessica Zhao, Keenan Rhodes, Olivia Burlingame, and Samantha Harvey. Our sound editing team includes Elijah Pogues, Jennifer Wager, and Callie Wright. The music is One Fine Day, by The Insider and Stuff Will Never Love You Back by Dr. Turtle.